0: My name is Julie Byington. I am a senior residency coordinator at Washington University in St. Louis. I have been in GME for nearly 10 years. I am currently with our internal medicine program, uh, which has 160 residents. (laughs) And prior to that, I was with our oncology fellowship program uh, with 24 fellows.
1: When you were a new administrator, what would you have wanted some an, an experienced administrator to have told you?
0: I think when first starting, the best advice I could have received was really that everything is going to be okay. <laughs> it's very easy when starting in this role to be overwhelmed, to feel like you're not doing a good job um because it's just so much. There's so much to learn. It takes a long time to learn it because You know, it's a year long process to even see everything for the first time. So just knowing, you know, early on that it's going to be okay to make mistakes. It's, it's a total, you know, natural part of the job and that everything will work out. There are lots of people around to help and, um, using that team, everything always pans out how it needs to.
1: Speaking of overwhelming, what advice do you have to for new administrators about the AC GME guidelines?
0: Yeah, um, my top advice is to read them. Read them again and again and again. <laughs> uh, whenever I start training somebody new, the very first thing I do is have them either print or bookmark the requirements out and just make a habit of, of setting some time to read them. I personally, when I started, I had it all printed out in a binder. Um, and as things would come up, I would put tabs on, you know, important topics in there. Because it, it's 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 basically your guidebook to, to knowing the job is that everything that you do for the job comes down to that document and following it. So the more you can um, absorb from it, the better.
1: Are you familiar with any kind of resources, and I think in general, uh, whether it's ACGME or other types of uh, responsibilities, resources out there that uh, administrators can rely on?
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly the ACGME website is a treasure trove of um, excellent resources. Um, They've got you know, not only the program requirements and the milestones and all of the actual accreditation stuff, but they also have a lot of supplemental documents, um, on their resources page or on each specialty page that kind of gives, you know, good ideas on how to run meetings or how to, you know, do a, a, a specific process. There's so much to explore there. You know, I would also recommend being a member of an active, online forum for your specialty. In particular for internal medicine, the uh, APTM Program Directors group is usually very helpful. Um, and there's also a wonderful Facebook group for GME coordinators and administrators, um, which is not specialty specific, um, but it's extremely active and you get a ton of great advice from that group.
1: Well, wh- why don't you talk about recruitment? I mean, wh- explain what that means to a new administrator.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, recruitment is—you'll spend a good portion of your year on recruitment, whether you're in residency or fellowship. Recruiting your next class of fellows is always, um, you know, one of the major activities you do each year.
1: Is it? Um, is it? Uh, is it competitive?
0: Well, let's say yes. It's competitive in every regard. <laughs> Depending on your specialty. You know, some, some specialties have far more applicants than they could ever fill into their spots. Um, and so it's competitive in, um, on, you know, on the program end for trying to get, you know, the, the best fit for your program and, and your best residence in. And, and then it's very competitive on the applicant side because there are so many people applying per spot.
1: What, what's your role then in this?
0: Currently, I am, uh, that's my primary role. (laughs) I I am the uh, recruitment coordinator this year, which means that I am primarily responsible for all communications with applicants, um, you know, the management of all of our forms and um, spreadsheets, where we track our data, you know, scheduling candidates to interview with faculty, getting faculty on board. It's, it's, a robust position. (laughs) So there's a lot involved with it.
1: So do you have any, any kind of, any stories of success that you've had any kind of tricks or tips that you use to survive this, which sounds like a stressful period?
0: Well, first of all, it really helps to go into recruitment with an extremely positive attitude. It can be very fun and I you know I, I really enjoy the aspect of getting to know the applicants, getting to review their applications, and and see who who the person is uh, that we're looking to to bring in here. Um, you know, for, for me the the best part of recruitment has been that it is ever evolving. Each year we go through this, you know, long. You know, draining but exciting process of meeting hundreds of people and you know trying to assess how well fit in our program, and then in the end we sit down each year and we we get to check that process and see what worked, what didn't, and and it constantly changes, and how can we make it better? Um, and doing that that process improvement has always been, I think, the you know, one of the most exciting parts of the the role of recruitment.
1: So, can you, as quickly as possible, describe the your calendar the year?
0: Typically, you know, the, the academic year begins in July with welcoming your new uh, residents. The first, you know, month or so is spent orienting them and getting them familiar with the services and their tasks that they'll have to do. Once you get into fall, you immediately start gearing up for recruitment. So we're gonna start setting up all of our documents and processes, our invitations and, and that sort of stuff. And then when the applications open, you really live and breathe recruitment for several months. Um, you know, for, for fellowships, it's a little bit of a shorter period for residencies, it's it's usually about three months um, of interviewing applicants and preparing your rank list. So the winter months are a little bit more of a downtime. Uh, At our institution, we tend to do um, some social programming during that time. And then at the end of December, you uh, have your semi-annual reviews that you would do with your residents and your faculty. In the spring, we um, have match day, which is in March for residencies. And that's when we find out who our new residents are going to be. And that uh, begins the start of our onboarding season, where um, we are starting to collect all the new information for our new residents and, you know, get, get them in the system and, and prep to come in, um, which is, it can be a pretty daunting task. And then in the spring... know we're usually preparing for graduation for our residents um we have a, a research symposium that our our residents put on and and then um once again you know the acgme processes of of evaluation and milestones and then you round out that year by finishing up the onboarding and bringing in the new residents for the next year and starting the process over
1: Tell me about this evaluation process that happens twice a year for ACGME. And do you use a a computer program for that internally? And then you input it into the ACGME system or tell me a little bit about it.
0: Residents are required to be evaluated on their milestone performance twice per year um, from the ACGME. And the milestones are a, a set of criteria for each specialty that the ACGME has set um, as as how residents should be assessed. For a large program like ours, we have several faculty that participate in the milestone reviews. Um, Each of our residents is given a faculty advisor and that advisor is responsible for around 20 residents in our program. And between October and Early December, each one of those residents will have a sit down meeting with the faculty advisor to go over how they're performing on their milestones as well as other, you know, important assessment tools like how, how they're, um, how far along they are at, at getting their procedure uh, minimums completed, um, how their, you know, scholarly activity is stacking up and then just in general a wellness check and, and what what the resident needs for us. And then after the faculty has that meeting with them, that faculty member will input their assessment. in, we use new innovations for our um, semi-annual review. So we have a form set up in there where they can put in, um, some of that more open-ended data, like their scholarly activity. And then they also fill in milestones when they're in there. And that's that's the resident semi-annual review. And then those milestone ratings that the faculty advisor puts in is then reviewed by our program director, who may or may not adjust uh based on what she sees and then submit it to the ACGME.
1: Yeah, what are some of the things that a, a new administrator should think about when it comes to their overall relationship with their program director?
0: Whenever I advise a new coordinator, what I always tell them is to start with a sit down meeting with your program director and go over your, uh, you know, your work habits and, and um, methods and, and how you guys want to establish communication with each other. Communicating is going to be the most important part of your relationship. So it's important that you establish a good process for that early on. Um, you know, I always recommend people to sit down with a program director and say, "How do you want me to relay information to you? Do you like the highlights, or do you want the play-by-play? Do you, you know, want to meet in person, you know, weekly or every other week? Do we meet by Zoom? Do you prefer email?" Um, knowing those little you know, preferences for both you and your, your program director are important to make sure that that relationship is functioning at its best. Um, and, and I think it's very important that the coordinator also comes in and says, this is how I do my best work. Um, because I have had instances, you know, I, I'm a person that likes to get a list of things I need to do. And then over the next week before my next meeting, I you know, prioritize it myself and go down the list and I don't need interruptions or, you know, people telling me how to do it or, or when or any of that. Um, so I like to tell my program director, you know, this is the task list. I will give you an update at the next meeting so that they know that we don't need to be checking in on it all week.
1: So do you meet one-on-one? How often with your program? program?
0: Yeah. um, I meet one-on-one with my director once a week. Um, You know, in, in lighter times, we might move it to every other week. Um, But typically it's, it's once a week to check in on whatever projects we're working on and you know, whatever's upcoming. I typically maintain a monthly checklist that Kind of displays everything that we need to do each month for the year, and so that I know when we go into our meetings, you know, we, you know, ACGME um, milestones are due, check, um, or you know, we need to plan the research symposium, check things like that. Um, And having that checklist always helps me to keep on top of the more routine things that can sometimes fall to the background when you have bigger more pressing things come up. Like if there's an issue with one of the residents or if, you know, there are a lot of complaints from the residents about a particular service, it's really easy to get caught up in trying to fix that problem and then kind of lose track of your, you know, routine stuff that you have to be doing every day. So I find having a checklist for that is incredibly helpful. And especially I like to review it with the program director. So we're on the same page.
1: How do you deal with competing priorities? You find yourself in a situation where you've gone to your director and said, okay, uh, here are three things. Which mm-hmm. one do you want me to do first?
0: Again, it, it it all comes down to communication. When you have competing priorities, you have to be clear with each person on what your capacity to handle those problems are or is, and you know, when you expect that you'll be able to get to it. I I think that giving your colleagues a fair estimation of when I can do it is the most important bit. And, and also letting them know what your competing activities are so that they you know might have a better understanding of why something else is priority. It's actually an issue I'm dealing with frequently right now because I, I have a split role. Um, I'm a residency coordinator for internal medicine, but I also spend um, half my time as the administrative support for our office of education. And so, you know there's typically a, a lot of times where those both roles will have heavy, you know projects going on at the same time. And so balancing that, you know can it can be delicate. It can be it can be a bit of a challenge sometimes. So you know, my method has just been to always be very clear with both of my supervisors about, what I have going on for the other person and where I feel like my priority needs to be. Um, and then we can have a conversation. You know, if they say, I understand that, but I really feel like this needs to be, you know, a higher priority, then then we can kind of go back and forth and kind of figure out a method for that. I, I think it's also important if you have more than one supervisor that they work together to to make sure, you know, that everybody's kind of got... Um, a good idea of where things are and, and what should be the top priority.
1: Work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your recommendation? I mean, what to, there's some, some things that people can do to protect their, the balance in their life and things like that.
0: I think one of the best ways to balance when you have competing roles is, is really through calendar management. When I have two, you know, separate but equally important projects or roles that I need to be working on, I like to block my days and I'll say Monday is my meeting day, Tuesday I work on project A, Wednesday is my open day, Thursday's project B, you know, and Friday will, you know, again, be an open day for for whatever comes up. I think it's very important to set designated times to focus on specific tasks. Um, I like to just do time blocks where I don't have meetings and I can just ensure I have working time, which really helps me to, um, you know, carve out time to work on things when competing activities are feel so pressing. I still know I have a calendar appointment that will come up and say, nope, it's time to do this. And it helps me to kind of slow down and change gears
1: what can be done to kind of readjust now in this hybrid world to carve out time
0: yeah i think i think working hybrid um has had pluses and minuses we're we're lucky to have a schedule where we we pretty much get to decide for ourselves the amount of you know time we come in versus time working from home you know uh, the only expectation in our office is that you know if there is some You know, big thing going on that we're in charge of that we should be present in the office for it. So, for example, right now I'm only required to come in on an actual interview day, and the rest of the time I can work from home. However, I think to manage working from home, it requires you to, you know, really pay attention to your surroundings and what is going to work best for your general workflow. You know, initially working from home was fantastic for me. I got a ton done because there was less, you know, chit chat around the office um, and and fewer distractions with people being around all day. But that quickly started to, you know, kind of change on me where, you know, I started to get distracted by, you know, dishes or laundry or, you know, the pets or, <laughs> and, and it became difficult to focus at work. So I think that, you have to pay attention to the environment and, and decide where you're going to get your best work done and, and try to choose, you know, whichever is going to be, you know, most uh, productive for you.
1: Why do you like your job and what's your favorite part of it?
0: My favorite part of the job is being able to, you know, reassess and have continuous change. I'm never bored in this job. Um, and, and that's the most important and um, exciting part of the role for me. Um, Yes, sometimes it's stressful when problems come up, but the ability to problem solve is where I thrive. And so for me, taking more of a, uh, you know, ideas generator or, um, you know, process improvement role has been the most rewarding part of the role. It's also been really enlightening to see how the education of medicine works you know, I didn't know very much about it before coming into this role, the, the experiences that the residents go through and, and how stressful it can be for them. And so it, it's also been nice in this role to be able to assist them through that because residency and fellowship is a very difficult time for, for many residents. Um, you know, they, they're, they're doctors, but they aren't, you know, ready to be let out into the world yet. And, and for them, I think, you know, mentally that is difficult in itself because they, you know, maybe feel a bit, um, you know, in, in an in-between place, um, where they, you know, wish they could have more freedom than they, they do. They're still very much, um, you know, being told what to do left and right and, that's, you know, that's kind of hard on them. And and I think that's a nice place where the the coordinator can come in and sort of support them through that, you know, both emotionally and, you know, logistically through your work, you know, the, the main role of the coordinator is to support the program. And a large portion of that is making smooth processes for the program so that the resident never has to deal with it. But also getting to know the residents and, and relate to them and give them just you know, just um, an ear, someone they can speak with and let their feelings out and, and kind of, you know, release. It, it's nice that the, the coordinator can kind of be in both roles, um, both that, you know, comfort person that the resident goes to, you know, as well as somebody that's working with the leadership to make improvements.
1: Do you have any stories where you guided... A resident through a difficult period
0: uh yeah when i was with the oncology program uh, we had a resident or a, a fellow that came to us from oregon to the midwest and and it was a pretty difficult change for him um he had never you know lived in the midwest before and it was a very different way of life for him and with this president in particular, he just made a habit of coming by my office to chat. He was a very friendly guy. And it ended up kind of turning into almost a standing meeting where, you know, once a week he would come in and, you know, just kind of either share his difficulties with adjusting or, you know, where he found difficulties in the program. And then over time, it just kind of, they, they became less, you know, about what is difficult, and they became more of chit chat sessions as he began to settle in. And so I think, you know, it was rewarding to me to be able to just be that support. I didn't always have very much advice to give him, you know, as somebody that has always lived here and and, and never anywhere else. I, you know, trying to walk somebody through an adjustment like that wasn't my forte. But what was important to him was that I just listened, you know, he, he got to come in and say what was up and he always felt better after. And then it it just kept up for the next, um, you know, two and a half years of fellowship. He just continued to pop into my office here and there. And he always shared with me. So I always felt like I had a pulse on where he was and, and how we could help him if he needed it.
1: I'm looking at the syllabus thing here and it says web ads. What are web ads? Yeah, so uh,
0: WebAds is the ACGME's online reporting system. Um, it stands for the Web Accreditation Data Service. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh, we just call it WebAds. Um, it, it's where you submit all of your formal reporting to the ACGME. So every six months, the milestones will be due. It's submitted through that online portal. You also, your, your residents will receive a annual survey that will be sent to them and tracked through web ads. Um, And then also the program each year is responsible for an annual program evaluation. And that's a, you know, a lengthy part of the reporting that is done in web ads. And web ads is also used to track you know residents in the program, so you list all of your residents. You list all of your faculty. You track their scholarly activity. Um, it, it's the primary data management portal for the ACGME.
1: Any, adv- any advice for the handling acronyms?
0: <laughs> yes, uh, you know we we always joke about GME being just a big alphabet soup. There are an incredible amount of of acronyms that you you end up having to know <laughs> as you go through GME.
1: Let's talk a little bit about. Uh, handling helping people with visas. Do you do that?
0: I have previously. Visas are pretty difficult. I think to to handle. Um, it, it has always been one of my least favorite part of the the job. Um, is onboarding people. You know, especially on visas, is difficult. Onboarding in general is difficult. It's a lot of data collection, and it's it's a lot of you know working within you know institutional barriers to do onboarding. Um, And visas is one of the most difficult aspects of that.
1: One last thing I'd like to end with the importance of professional development and what your recommendations are as far as, uh, you know, staying up on the profession and improving, you know, your practice.
0: Yeah, I I think that professional development is essential to this role to really be a good coordinator or administrator and, and to really experience the full the full array of what the role can be, you know, you have to keep learning in this role. First of all, the role just changes constantly. The ACGME rules are constantly changing. And so you have to, you know, keep up with that. You have to take the time to make sure you are reading through changes when they come and understanding them. It's also important to have a network because a lot of information that comes from the ACGME or any of the other accrediting bodies, it's not always clear. Um, and the ACGME program requirements in particular, it leaves a lot up to interpretation for you know, the programs themselves. And it's important that you are communicating, you know within your program, within your institution, to have a streamlined definition or or process on how your institution is going to interpret a certain rule. But it's also important that you expand out to other networks, people at other institutions to see how are they interpreting this and is it different than you? Is their way better? Can you incorporate part of it? Or you know, can you share what you're doing to them and maybe they'll adapt your changes. Networking with others has been, you know, one of the, the best ways that I've been able to bring in new ideas. And, and, and make improvements in the program.
1: Did you have a mentor?
0: I, I didn't have a mentor in a formal capacity. Like I, I wasn't part of the mentorship program or anything like that. But there was a, um, a coordinator in my institution who, who, you know, at the time I was with the oncology program and she was the internal medicine um, primary coordinator. And so she was the person anytime I had any kind of questions
1: or anything would always go to her. What about involvement with um, the Alliance?
0: Yeah, I think that being involved with the alliance is an excellent opportunity for someone that is becoming more familiar in their role. I think for a brand new coordinator, involvement in the alliance is better taken as receiving the information. You know, I think accessing the Alliance resources um, and and attending the sessions is extremely beneficial. But in terms of becoming involved involved in, either the, the council or the committees. I think that's an excellent step to take once you feel more comfortable in your role and, and feel like you really have a grasp on what GME is and how your program runs. Being part of the council is, you know, it, it's been fantastic for me to understand the profession as a whole, how other programs vary and why, certain processes are not working or are working. And it's been rewarding to be able to be part of the process to make those improvements.
1: Thank you, Julie, very much. You're welcome. I hope I gave you something. You were great. (laughs) You were great. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.